Chapter Seven of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Chapter Seven. Mrs. Orton Begg was a sister of Mrs. Frayling's and an oracle to Avadne. Mrs. Frayling was fair, plump, sweet, yielding, commonplace, prolific. Mrs. Orton Begg was a barren widow, slender, sincere, silent, firm, and tender. Mrs. Frayling, for lack of insight, was unsympathetic. Mrs. Orton Begg was just the opposite, and she and Avadne understood each other, and were silent together in the most companionable way in the world. When Avadne went to her own room on the evening made memorable by the twins' famous anthem, she was haunted by that word ineffectual, which Mrs. Orton Begg had used. Ineffectual genius! There was something familiar as well as high-sounding in the epithet. It recalled an idea with which she was already acquainted. What was it? She opened her commonplace book, and sat with her pen in her hand, cogitating comfortably she had no need to weary her fresh young brain with an irritating pursuit of what she wanted she had only to wait and it would recur to her and presently it came her countenance brightened she bent over the book and wrote a few lines read them when she had blotted them and was satisfied i have it she wrote shelley equals genius of the nineteenth century beautiful and ineffectual angel beating in the void his luminous wings in vain matthew arnold when she had done this she took up a book went to the fire settled herself in an easy chair and began to read the book was ruth by mrs gaskell and she was just finishing it when she had done so she went back to the table and copied out the following paragraph the daily life into which people are born and into which they are absorbed before they are aware forms chains which only one in a hundred has moral strength enough to despise and to break when the right time comes when an inward necessity for independent action arises which is superior to all outward conventionalities she stopped here and pushed the volume away from her it was the only passage in it which she cared to remember she had lost the confidence of the child by this time and become humbly doubtful of her own opinion and instead of summing up ruth boldly as she would have done the year before she paused now a moment to reflect before she wrote with diffidence the principal impression this book has made upon me is that mrs gaskell must have been a very lovable woman Footnote. George Eliot thought so too, years before Avadne was born, and expressed the thought in a letter in which she also prophesied that Ruth would not live through a generation. The impression the book made upon Avadne is another proof of prescience in the great writer. The story seems to me long drawn out and of small significance. It is full of food for the heart, but the head goes empty away and both should be satisfied by a work of fiction i think 
but perhaps it is my own mood that is at fault at another time i might have found gems in it which now in my dullness i have failed to perceive somebody knocked at the door as she blotted the words come in auntie she said as if in answer to an accustomed signal and mrs orton begg entered in a long loose voluminously draped white wrapper evadne drew an easy chair to the fire for her sit down auntie she said and be cosy you are late to-night i was afraid you were not coming mrs orton begg was in the habit of coming to evadne's room every evening when she was at frelinghay to chat or sit silently sociable over the fire with her before saying good-night do i ever fail you she asked smiling no but i have been afraid of the fatal fascination of that great fat foreign prince he singled you out for special attention and i have been jealous well you need not have been for he singled me out in order to talk about you he thinks you are a nice child you interest him defend me said avadne but you mistake me dear aunt it was not of him i was jealous but of you the fat prince is nothing to me and you are a very great deal mrs orton begg's face brightened at the words but she continued to look into the fire silently for some seconds after avadne had spoken and made no other visible sign of having heard them i don't think i ought to encourage you to sit up so late she said presently lady adeline has just been asking me who it is that burns the midnight oil up here so regularly lady adeline must be up very late herself to see it said avadne i suppose those precious twins disturb her i wish she would let me take entire charge of them when she is here it would be a relief i should think it would be an imposition said mrs orton begg but you are a brave girl avadne i would not venture oh they delight me avadne answered and i know them well enough now to forestall them when i told lady adeline that these were your rooms her aunt pursued she said something about a lily-maid high in her chamber up a tower to the east guarding the sacred shield of lancelot singularly inappropriate said avadne for my tower is south and west thank heaven and there isn't a symptom of lancelot her aunt concluded young ladies don't guard sacred shields nowadays said avadne no answered her aunt glancing over her shoulder at the open book on the table they have substituted the sacred commonplace book full of thought i fancy you speak regretfully auntie but isn't it better to think and be happy than to die of atrophy for a sentiment i don't think it better to extinguish all sentiment life without sentiment would be so bald but life with that kind of sentiment doesn't last it seems and nobody is benefited by it it is extreme misery to the girl herself and she dies young leaving a legacy of lifelong regret and bitterness to her friends i should think it small comfort to become the subject for a poem or a picture at such a price and surely auntie sentiments which are silly or dangerous would be better extinguished mrs orton begg smiled at the fire enigmatically but the poem or the picture may become a lasting benefit to mankind she suggested presently humph 
said Avadney. "'You doubt it? Well, you see, Auntie, there are two ways of looking at it. When you first come across the poem, or the picture, which perpetuates the sentiment that slew the girl, and beautifies it, you feel a glow all over, and fancy you would like to imitate her, and think that you would deserve great credit for it if you did. But when you come to consider, there is nothing very noble, after all, in a hopeless passion for an elderly man of the world, who is past being benefited by it, even if he could reciprocate it. Elaine should have married a man of her own age, and made him happy. She would have done some good in her time so, and been saved from setting us a bad example. I think it a sin to make unwholesome sentiments attractive. Then Lancelot does not charm you? No, said Avadney thoughtfully, I should have preferred the king. Ah, yes, because he was the nobler, the more ideal man? No, not exactly, Avadney answered, but because he was the more wholesome. My dear child, are you speaking literally? Yes, auntie. Good heavens, Mrs. Ortenbeg ejaculated softly. The times have changed. Yes, we know more now, Avadney answered tranquilly. You are fulfilling the promise of your youth, Avadney, her aunt remarked, after a thoughtful pause. I remember reading a fairy tale of Jean Ingelow's aloud to you children in the nursery long ago. I forget the name of it, but it was the one into which one morning, oh so early, comes, and you started a controversy as to whether, speaking of the dove, when the lark said, Give us glory, she should have made answer, Give us peace, or peas, the latter, you maintained, as being the more natural and the most sensible. I must have been a horrid little prig in those days, said Avadney, smiling, but auntie, there can be no peace without plenty, and I think I would rather be a sensible realist than a foolish idealist. You mean that you think me too much of a utilitarian, do you not? You are in danger, I think. Utilitarianism is Bentham's greatest happiness principle, is it not? Evadne asked. Yes, greatest human happiness, her aunt replied. Well, I don't know how that can be dangerous in principle, but of course I know nothing of such questions practically, only I do seem to perceive that you must rest on a solid basis of real advantages before you can reach up to ideal perfection with any chance of success. You seem to be very wide awake tonight, Avadney, Mrs. Ortenbeg rejoined. This is the first I have heard of your peculiar views. Oh, I am a night owl, I think, Auntie, Avadney answered apologetically. You see, I never had anything to do in the schoolroom that I could not manage when I was half asleep, and so I formed a habit of dozing over my lessons by day and waking up when I came to bed at night. Having a room of my own always has been a great advantage. I have been secure all along of a quiet time at night for reading and thought. And that is real life, Auntie, isn't it? I don't care to talk much, as a rule, do you? I like to listen and watch people. But I always wake up at this time of the night, and I feel as if I could be quite garrulous now when everybody else is going to sleep. But, Auntie, 
don't use such ominous expression as peculiar views about anything i say please views are always in ill odour and peculiarities even peculiar perfections would isolate one and that i do dread it would be awful to be out of sympathy with one's fellow-creatures and have them look suspiciously at one and it would be no comfort to me to know that want of sympathy is the proof of a narrow nature and that suspicion is the inevitable outcome of ignorance and stupidity i don't want to despise my fellow-creatures i would rather share their ignorance and conceit and be sociable than find myself isolated even by a very real superiority the one would be pleasant enough i should think the other pain beyond all bearing of it mrs orton begg's heart contracted with a momentary fear for her niece but she dismissed it promptly the room to yourself has been a doubtful advantage i fancy she said it has made you theoretical but you will lose all that by and by and in the meantime you must remember that in such matters we have small choice we are born with superior or inferior faculties and must make use of them such as they are to become inferior cooks or countesses or superior ditto as the case may be but there are always plenty of one's own kind whichever it is to consort with birds of a feather you know you need not be afraid of being isolated you are thinking of ordinary faculties auntie i was thinking of extraordinary but even with ordinary ones we are hampered birds of a feather would flock together if they could of course but then they can't always and suppose being superior you find yourself forced to associate with inferior cooks of your kind what then be their queen which unless you were a queen of hearts would really amount to being an object of envy and dislike and that brings us back to the point from which we started evadne you talk like a book go to bed mrs orton begg exclaimed laughing it is you who have made me talk then evadne rejoined promptly and i feel inclined to ask now with all proper respect what has come to you it must be the prince yes it must be the prince mrs orton begg responded raising her slender white hand to smother a yawn and it must be good-night too or rather good-morning just look at the clock it is nearly three End of chapter 7